We would like to begin by acknowledging the traditional owners of the land in which we record this podcast today, the Arakwal people of the Bunjalong Nation, and pay our respects to Elders past and present. Hello, Yummy Mummies. Welcome to Beyond the Bump, a podcast brought to you by Jade Caldwell and Sophie Pierce. This podcast is targeted at mums, mums to be, and women in general. And gents, feel free to have a listen too. It's a place to have real discussions and ask real questions, no matter how hard, with honest and authentic people. The aim is to have you feeling lighter, more supported, and more understood after every listen. Now, we can't promise that it will always be kept PG, so please be mindful around little ears. Here we go. Hello, Jade. Hello, Sophie and everybody listening. How are you? No, more importantly, how are you? The birthday festivities have finished. Someone actually wrote to me saying, I think the Queen deserves her own public holiday. Um, And I feel like, did we not? Did she not already (laughs) get a public holiday? I felt like she did. But, you know, last week you spoke to us about how often this is a challenging time, but this year you were just embracing it. You were having the Festival of Jade for your big three six. How do you feel on the other side? of it. Look, I'm feeling as old and every bit as 36 years old, but I went out with a bang for my 35th and I really, really made sure that I gave it everything I could. It was the birthday of all birthdays. I am so happy that I did it. Yeah, it's been just an absolute ripper weekend. Ended it yesterday. Actually, I thought I ended it yesterday with just a nice barbecue with friends and family, but then Harry, lo and behold, surprised me with a tea ceremony that I went to today it's pretty much like meditation with a bunch of other people and you're really quiet and then on to a massage the little sweetheart so I'm back to reality now guys I'll stop pissing everyone off I'm 36 I won't be talking about my age and we can move on well and truly how was your week my week was great I feel like I don't have that much to report obviously I went out and helped you celebrate with a bang which was great fun it included us trying to find an R&B dance floor about 7.30pm on the Gold Coast, which is very challenging, might I say. But we managed to, by about 9.30, find ourselves some bangers. And Jade ended up dancing with some people (laughs) that were even older than her, if you can quite believe there are people out there older than 36. And I was showing Nick a picture of in a video the next day and he said, did you end up in a fucking RSL? And I said, no, that was the club at the casino, (laughs) if you can believe. I have a really good knack at trying to find old people and dance with them. It makes their day apparently when they get like a youngish girl and they're like 90 or 89 and it was his birthday. It was literally as either a stroke or he was stoked. So luckily he was stoked. Brutal, fabulous, fabulous. And also good news for you, school holidays are over. How do you feel? Well, I wasn't even there to do drop off today, so um, I will be doing pick up. But it was, yeah. Look, the holidays went well. We went through it. We got through it, and they're actually really all keen to get back to school and see their friends. So, yay to all of us! So good. Now we have some special guests sitting quietly next to us, wanting us to just shut up yes, so they do. can get on Super with their awkward. lives. But this week, the episode is all about vasectomies, and we actually got an expert in, not these guys. <laughs> Um, We got a urologist in and we chatted to him all about vasectomies because I feel like it's such a buzzword that's thrown around, go get the snip, go do this, go do that. But 
very few people actually know what is involved. So we have two people with us today who have actually had it done. Harry, you had it done a couple of years ago. Nick, you had it done last week. And we wanted to get your view on things because obviously you're the ones who have had this done. So Harry, what do you remember of when you got the snip a couple of years ago? And before he says anything, can I just say, I'm pretty sure that Nick and Harry are professionals of balls. Let's be serious. I think they know about their balls. I think they know how they feel. So I think they would have some sort of insight to, you know, everything that, that went on. But yeah, how was that day? Yeah, well, that was a couple of years ago now, three, four years ago. Mm-hmm. We had been talking about it for quite a while, I think. Uh, it seemed like the uh, sensible option after three kids at a young age and yeah it was um we didn't get too I know I didn't get too sentimental about it I had friends who actually have five children and they got it done and they were having an existential crisis and like had to sit alone in a park and think about it I had no such worries um I drove up on my own to a place on the Gold Coast called Dr. Snip that's his actual name that comes up you know, on Google and everything. Um, yeah, I called up, booked in, drove up the 40-minute drive, walked in there, like kind of naive, not knowing how big a procedure it would be, uh, thinking it would probably be bigger, thinking I was probably more important than I was, you know, coming in. They did the question, um, you know, wanted to know how serious I was about it because I looked quite young. Uh, and I told them I had three, three kids under... Uh, whatever age, seven or, or something. Don't know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and uh, so they straight away were like, yeah, yeah, okay, we understand. But I think with other other people, they'd probably have to question it. If you walk in there and you've had no children or one child, they might put it to you a little bit more. I'm not, I'm not sure. And I went in there and um, booked me in. I kind of went in a little bit nervous, not too worried, but like, oh, okay, this is getting real now. Uh, they laid me on a on a bed uh there was dr snip that's not his real name but let's just say dr snip and he had a uh he had an assistant lady with him and i laid down and um they did a small incision in the middle of the scrotum so some people can get the the keyhole is that correct the keyhole surgery where it's a lot more invasive there's a lot more going on nowadays they just do a little tiny incision like probably 10 mil which is like a centimeter uh, in, in directly in the middle and then they got like little forceps opened up the hole I watched a little bit of it I didn't want to really get too involved because it was kind of wigging me out a little bit you had a local anesthetic though yeah you? local anesthetic oh, no no well a general maybe a tiny little one just for the little incision yeah so a local just yeah. like near your leg nah not even they didn't put anything they it's didn't like know a, it's a, t- a, a tiny little incision like one centimeter if that and then they used little forceps to open up the hole a little bit, chucked in some tweezers, pulled them out, two strings, and I heard snip, snip. And then I'm not sure about the correct procedure, but they tied them up. It's tuck- in this episode, so don't panic anyone. Tied them up, tucked them back in, gave me a little butterfly clip, two paracetamol, and on, on my way I went. And how, how do you remember your procedure? Yours was only about a week and a half ago, so was yours similar? Yeah, so mine, I, had a, I should preface it with I had a very positive experience, but it's a bit of a funny story because um, I went in on Thursday and the Friday we were taking the kids camping. Well, sorry, I was taking the older two kids camping to North Stradbroke. 
So when I'd previously rung up, I'd been sent the information and similar for Harry, I'd opted for the local anesthetic. But um, on that Thursday, I'd sort of packed my car for some stuff for camping and I was like, I just don't really want to drive it up there. You know, it's probably like best part of two and a half hour round trip. So I was like, I'll Uber to, sorry, I'll drive to Tweed and then get an Uber up to Southport. And luckily I did because um, the, what do you, what's the profession? Like a urologist. urologist got to chatting about pizza because he's opening a pizza restaurant. And, and when he asked what I did and said that I own one, we literally just talked about pizza and I had no idea what was about to happen to my nuts. <laughs> kind of, um, you know, got this quick like, yeah, we're going to go in, give it a snip, whatever. And then when I was lying down on the table, he came in and was still chatting to me about this pizza restaurant and I had a drip in my arm and as I'm chatting, I just feel myself starting to like slur <laughs> my words and I'm like, oh, I'm getting this sedation. And I just literally, next thing I noticed, I woke up like a fair while later and the nurse came in and she's like, oh, that light sedation like really kind of knocked you out, eh? <laughs> And I wasn't planning on even getting it, to be honest. When I booked it in, I said, I just want the local. And but thank goodness you'd Ubered because I was at yeah. home with the three kids. Yeah. And if he hadn't have Ubered, like, obviously, I would have had to throw them all in the car and gone and pick him up and yeah. all this stuff. But um, he, like, probably got knocked out. Yeah. And then um, when the doctor came back in, and I sort of didn't feel the need to, like, hit them up. I feel like it was just sort of lost in translation or anything that I was wanting the local, but, um, and I had Uber, so it was fine. But he was like, oh, um, cause I haven't been drinking recently. And he's like, oh, I did, um, yeah, like maybe you're not drinking or something. And that the like normal dosage they give people just smoked me. Or maybe it's cause I'm tired with three children. <laughs> Hence why I was there getting my balls snipped. Um, but yeah, no, it was pretty funny. Is it supposed to put you to sleep? Is that one, the one you got? Where you yeah, did you get a local or a general? No, I didn't get a general. I just got, they call it like a light sedation. You're supposed to be like still conscious and everything. But whether I just like, yeah, it just knocked me out. Wow. You got it through a drip. It was just like a um, cannula in my arm. Not like a full drip, but yeah, when I rang so she's like, where have you been? Like I thought you said it was going to be like half an hour. <laughs> Literally I two and a half been, hours later, I still hadn't heard from him because he was just fast asleep in recovery. Passed out on a uh, on a bed, but so yeah, I literally remember nothing other than saying something about um, our pizza place, and then lights were out. And how's your balls now? I probably shouldn't have gone straight into camping with two or four kids between me and my mate at North Stratty going up and down a ladder doing all that sort of stuff. <laughs> the plums were a little tender. <laughs> and even that night I was like packing the car with everything else. And I think I'd just been so upright. They just started getting like pretty swollen and sore. And I mean, nothing's too much information on this podcast, but I don't wear undies. So... I had to start wearing undies. You had to get some hammocks happening so because they, they couldn't just be hanging low. Because it was more the hanging that I noticed. Like if they weren't hanging, they were okay. But it was like the hanging. But, yeah, I'd say even now, like I went for a foil <laughs> the other day, whenever it was, a couple of days ago. And um, just coming off that, I every now and again, it's like I just gently got kicked in the nuts, you know. So it's definitely hasn't been as quicker as quicker kind of easier recovery as I thought. And a lot of guys I've since spoken to said that, yeah, they kind of get that kicked in the nuts feeling for like a fair few weeks afterwards. How did you feel? I felt like if someone was hold, like pulling them down, like, and if you jumped up, 
or did any sudden movements, I felt like with any with any sort of gravity, I noticed it and it felt like someone was squeezing them, that dull kind of sickening. Oh, that's our dog, sorry. <laughs> but it sounded like that. Yeah. Is dull, that a male dog? Are they relating? Um, They're like, yes, same with me. Yeah. That's <laughs> Juno. No, no, it's not. It is a D-sex dog. Oh, Julian. Yeah, maybe she yeah. knows. But, yeah, no, I, I can relate. I had that dull kind of feeling. It wasn't an acute pain, but it felt like any time I jumped, moved too quickly or they didn't have um, a good landing pad. But for the men out there that will be listening and we're hoping that they will so they get a bit of an understanding, like did you feel any less of a man after that you had this procedure? Did you feel like, oh, my gosh, this has changed me completely? After that sort of healing week or two, did you feel pretty much back to your same self? Yeah, absolutely. I had no um, sentimental, like, existential feelings about the whole thing at all. For me, it was just a... Uh, the correct decision to do at the time for me because I think if I went ahead and didn't want to do it for my own personal gain or own personal reasons, selfish reasons, oh, I don't want the pain, I don't want to sit around for, for a week or two, then the repercussions of something happening if I didn't get mm. it in terms of an unwanted pregnancy, etc., would have been even worse. So I didn't think much about it. It just seemed like the right thing to do. I think I even put it off just for be- from being lazy for a while anyway. And I, I think you kept reminding me. And then I was yes, like, oh, yeah, yep, let's do it. And it was so, such a simple process that after forgetting for a few weeks and then deciding to do it, yeah, I called up, booked it for a day's time, drove up there, got given a couple of paracetamol and headed home. So mine wasn't as difficult as Nick's. Like, I mean, I think that as Nick said, it's been a longer recovery than he expected, but he's also not someone who's great at sitting still like you're very go 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 and if you're not go 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 you're asleep so I think part of that's the procedure itself and part of that is the patient but how do you feel you've had a week and a bit to think about it do you feel like you're less of a man no I mean we tested them out yesterday and they (laughs) they still work but uh no I mean yeah I feel I feel fine and I think yeah like Harry said I don't feel sentimental about it all and I kind of feel like there, there was only, like, to me, there are only benefits. And, yeah, I don't feel like it's affected my, like, yeah, understanding that the semen reabsorbs and that it doesn't affect your hormone levels or testosterone or anything that could maybe, like, yeah, somehow negatively affect your mood long term was probably my only reservations. And, I mean, it's only been a week, but in terms of the pain, not even a worry. It's It's more just... Yeah, interesting to observe how that feels for the week. But um, no, nah, I mean libido is still shame, still uh, still firing. Shame. And, uh, <laughs> yeah, no, nah, I feel great. I think there's only something to gain from it. Just so we can clarify as well, do you feel like they're as full as they were, Sophie? If you had them, a, a gave them a good hold, they're still quite bruised. So I didn't want to do too much of oh, an you inspection. You were being yeah. There's one thing that happened with, like, I can't touch the strings in there anymore. It's too weird. There's just so much shit going on. Yeah, you can feel the tie. You can actually feel the tie. Feels like a bag of rubbish. There's just shit in there (laughs) now and it's tangles and and knots. Like, no word of a lie, there's just these big, dirty fishing knots in there, two of them, and I just can't feel them because it just feels too strange and too um, unnatural. That's the only... uh, 
Stick to the testes. That's babe. the only con of the whole thing is those. It just feels strange, and I can't really, I can't touch them anymore. And that's my favourite pastime. But I can, so it's all good. Thank you for coming on. We love you both. And Harry, I highly recommend you actually give this episode a listen because Jade was extremely complimentary of your testicles to the point that (laughs) Dr Gideon, who we spoke to, who deals with balls all day long, had never heard of someone quite as enthusiastic about testicles as Jade was. Hope you enjoy. Woo. Hello, Dr. Gideon, and thank you so much for joining us on Beyond the Bump today. Before we get started, can you please tell us a little bit about yourself and what a urologist is? Good morning. Thanks for having me on. I'm a, I'm a urologist uh, and uh, I've trained in Melbourne and uh, then headed overseas actually for a fair bit of uh, additional training. Once you finish being a doctor, there's always more training involved. And I spent several years in the United Kingdom and I did some robotic surgery, learning how to sort of remove prostate cancers and other cancers. But my true, I guess, calling where I really wanted to be was in the space of men's health. So I then spent another couple of years learning about surgeries for a variety of men's health issues, one of which we might be talking about today. So what is a urologist? It's essentially a, a doctor who, who trains in surgery. And as urologists, we look after all aspects of the urinary tract, as well as the reproductive tract of men. So what that basically means in plain English is anything to do with making urine. So that's kidneys, the, the, the kidney drainage tubes, ureters, bladders, prostates, and, and then heads down from the male section into you know, testicles and penis issues as well. So a urologist will manage any problem that might arise in there. Then might be something simple like a vasectomy, or it might be really complex things like big cancers of the bladders or kidney removal, or then simple things like kidney stones and that sort of jazz. So that's where we come into the you know, the scene really as urologists. Well, I'm excited because obviously it sounds like it, and it is a very serious job, but I'm sitting here feeling like a five-year-old and I'm going to giggle. But we're going to be talking today about vasectomies. Yes, I am an adult and I am not <laughs> going to be that immature, but I think that it's a really exciting chat to have because we're always focused a lot on women. But let's start at the very beginning. Can you please explain to us what a vasectomy is? Sure. So maybe we should get uh, your partners on and they can tell us. Well, we will. I think we should do some snippets at the end. I think so. We can ask Harry and Nick what they thought and and if the recovery that you state is like their recovery. Yeah, I think that's that's so that's so true, right? Because people will recover in different ways. And and often patients come and say, look, you know, you know, how long do I need to take off work? Can I just get it done and go straight back to work? Is it going to take weeks? And to be honest, you know, it's quite variable. So you might get some guys who bounce back after a few days, but every now and then you get someone who takes two or three weeks to kind of get over it, you know. Is it generally how they respond to the flu is how they'll (laughs) respond to their vasectomy? What are you implying here? (laughs) Absolutely nothing. There were just some very sceptical questions that came in comparing vasectomies to childbirth and a lot of eye-rolling. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, look, I mean, I get the pleasure of meeting, you know, all sorts of people, people who need vasectomies and people who have had uh, pregnancies and and, and, uh, delivered babies. So at least I'm privy to what people have to say. No, I think vasectomy, as far as a a pain level goes, it is uncomfortable and that's because it's in a 
part of the body that you can't really protect after you have like a little surgery. You can't put it in a sling. You can't put a helmet on it. It's just kind of always there. It's always in the way. And it's also low down. And when things are low down in the body, they tend to swell more. You're always going to get some swelling after a procedure. So it's only natural that there will be swelling and discomfort afterwards. And you know, it, it means people have to take it easy. It's not just like you can, it's not like an ear piercing where the next day you're, you're back at work, no dramas. It, it often does become a bit swollen, a bit uncomfortable and people can't concentrate as easily as they usually would. So if someone was saying, how long will it take to recover? I think the honest answer is anywhere from about three to five days, maybe up to two, even sometimes three weeks, you know, not, not that you're lying in bed that time, but just in terms of how long you're going to have some discomfort and limitation of perhaps your normal daily activities, something around there. And I feel like the snip is thrown around, but so mm-hmm. few people actually understand what happens mm. during the snip. Because my husband, his main reservation to book in was that he thought then when he finished, nothing would come out. And I'm like, I'm not asking you to go get a procedure that leaves you just plain <laughs> dust. Like what what actually happens and then what comes out? Sure. So if we can sort of draw uh, creatively for our listeners. Mm. So we've got testicles that sit down below and uh, on the outside of the testicles are two little, almost like suction caps. They look like they're called the epididymes and the sperm actually travel from the testicles and head into the epididymes. And that's where they tend to mature a little bit. And the epididymes are just a sort of a long continuous uh, squiggly tube, but all packed into a little organ. And at the end of that, it turns into the vas tube. It's called the vas deferens. They're they're sort of reasonably thick cord-like structures that are quite long. They go all the way from the testicle. They go all the way up uh, into the groins, and then they head into the pelvis. And eventually, they end up, these vas tubes end up essentially behind the prostate, and they join an area called the seminal vesicle. The seminal vesicles are probably, let's say, three centimeters by one centimeter long, and they kind of got a lobulated appearance. They kind of look like almost like a little white jelly ball type structure and it's there where all the ejaculate is stored so we're not touching the the seminal vesicles because that's where say 90 percent of the ejaculate actually comes from Mm. okay all we're doing with the vasectomy is making one or two little cuts in the scrotum finding the thin vas tubes and somehow dividing them, separating them, stopping any of the actual tiny little sperm that are from the testes making their way and joining the total ejaculate in the seminal vesicles. So the testicle sperm side of things, that's only contributing about 1% of your volume of your ejaculate. So, you know, I think when we're talking about what's actually happening, we're stopping sperm becoming one of that 1% component of the ejaculate. We are not stopping the ejaculate. We are not stopping erections. We are not stopping orgasm. All that we're stopping is the sperm making their way into that fluid. And so if it's no longer making its way into that fluid, where does it go? Because you're still creating sperm, right? Yeah, you still generate sperm and they make their way down the epididymis and towards the end of that vas tube that's been tied off or clipped off. And then eventually they just sit there and they, they die, much like any other cell in your body would do. Okay, we have a constant turnover in our body of cells, whether it's blood cells or skin cells or bone cells, and they're constantly at the end of their, you know, cellular life, they die, they you know fall to pieces, the body cleans them up and kind of recycles all the components. And to a degree, that's what happens with the old sperm as well. 
Right. And you've mentioned that there are a couple of different ways of doing it. Are there pros and cons to cutting or tying or like cake can be burnt, can't they? Yeah. Look, I I think there are a variety of ways, like any surgery. And I I would probably say there's no absolute major plus or minus with either of them if you look at large studies. But essentially each person who offers vasectomy will have a particular way that they like to do it, that they feel might be better. And there might be some potential pros and cons. One of the ways of I guess tying off that vas tube is some people don't even tie it off on one side. So on the side that's closest to the testicle, they just leave it open. And the reason for that is because they're worried that if they tie it off, they might get some increased buildup of pressure or inflammation and that might cause long-term pain. Whereas other people would say, well, you know, I'd rather tie that off to make sure that there is no you know, sperm you know, exiting and entering that area, mm. which potentially could maybe make its way back to the other side of the vas tube potentially. So yeah, look, I think there's various ways, but the simple concept is that you're finding the vas tube and you're somehow separating the two ends and you can either remove a section, you can burn the ends, you can tie off the ends. Uh, and one of the important things that you know I, I do is that I actually separate the two ends in two different compartments. So in other words, you're trying to bring some form of tissue or structure between the two ends. So there's no way that those two ends can actually physically meet once again. Mm. So there's a variety of ways. And depending on how you train, that's how you'll do it, I guess. So I've got a question. My husband had a vasectomy and he thinks that he has less coming out. Is that possible? Look, I mean, I think we spoke before about the contribution and, you know, they're there would be a 1% drop in volume. There sometimes can be a slight change in perhaps the consistency, sometimes yes. either a little bit clearer is what some of my patients tell me. But I don't I don't think there's any major change in the overall ejaculate sort of you know, volume per se. That, that shouldn't be a major feature. It's very normal that the volume of ejaculate will change for guys depending on all sorts of factors, you know, how, how recently did they ejaculate? What's their hydration status? Are they stressed? Are they relaxed? How excited erogenously were they at the time? There's a variety of things that may change. Right. So, and, and often you you hear men sort of say, well, when I've had a vasectomy, that does, has that, does that affect sexual function? And the reality is that it shouldn't. It just, because all you're doing is you're stopping 1% of volume of little tiny sperm going to the ejaculate. And it doesn't have any connection to the penis. It doesn't have any connection to, you know, your brain and and the orgasmic sort of center. So generally I would say that if there's, you know, people saying, oh, I feel different during sex. I think it also might be because you've had a change in your body and your concept of how your body works and the fact that no longer can you actually make babies and you've had a procedure down there. I think that may, may affect things, but I don't think from an anatomical perspective, you can say that there's going to be a major sexual function change necessarily. Yeah, because we had some differings in opinions of people writing in, some people saying that as a couple they felt less sexual because that option of reproducing had been taken away, whereas to me that's like, isn't that a good thing that now that is no longer the risk. Sure. Look, I guess it's highly personal, isn't it? Everyone's got different relationships and the way that they engage in sex and what's going to be more fun or less fun for them. So yeah, it's it's probably hard for me to put a particular answer on that, but I think you're right. There is a spectrum. Yeah. And everyone's going to feel differently about it. So it's just a matter of trying to have that discussion with your partner. It was interesting what you mentioned earlier. You said, oh, I'm getting my man to have a vasectomy, right? It's, it's very much a joint decision, this one, right? Because it's not just affecting one person, it's affecting both. So 
I often hear some people come and say, look, you know, my partner's making me get one. So I think it's important to, we've got to realize that it's not something we want to enforce upon somebody. Mm. Uh, it's, it's, it's that joint discussion. It's a two way thing because it's not like perhaps, you know, other forms of contraception, which obviously the mainstay are directed towards the female, but you know, for example, let's say condoms. I mean, condoms, you could start using it, you could stop using and then you could start using them again. Whereas vasectomy is a procedure. It's not yeah. a major procedure. It's not, you know, brain surgery here, but it nonetheless does carry some risk. So we've got to, I guess, have that conversation gone through. And uh, it's always important that the, those partners feel that they're involved in the decision-making process rather than saying, this is, this is what's happening. I think a lot of our listeners, like, because they've written in that saying, how can we convince our partner? And in a way, I think that because we, you know, give birth, we are pregnant, we, there's a lot going on on our side. We've had contraception for most of our lives. It's like, when we ask, oh, would you mind getting a vasectomy? Because I don't want to go back on birth control or I don't want to do this. Obviously, they're a little bit hesitant. And I think that they don't really have the information or understand like what we're talking about today in terms of it's actually not a huge procedure. It's actually something that you could walk in and walk out of. And I, I don't know. I just, I think a lot of people want to get their partner to understand what it means for us. Like when we say, yeah, we're making you, but what we've sacrificed as to what we'd like you to do. Does that make sense? Mm. Yeah. Look, I, I think like all choices that we make, I guess, as couples, it's a conversation, right? Yeah. It's not a, I've done this, so you have to do that. It's a, look, you know, we've been using this type of contraception. I don't think it's really working for me for this reason. Can we talk about the options? and yeah. maybe exploring each of them. And hopefully today we'll provide some additional information about vasectomy for, for our listeners. But I think imposing it on somebody is likely to make somebody you know backtrack. And yeah. the last thing you want to do is encourage somebody to have a surgical procedure and then something goes wrong and they regret it and they, mm. they, they're upset about it forever. You know, there are some small risks with a vasectomy. Like there's, there's a one or 2% chance of having long-term pain from it. So, you know, Everyone considers a vasectomy walk in, walk out. It's like a haircut, but it, it is slightly more than that, <laughs> right? Yeah. You know, if you say, well, you know, you've got a one or 2% chance of having long-term pain pretty much for the rest of your life, you're going to double think that decision, right? And that's fair. So I think having a good conversation with the proceduralist, whoever it is, uh, and understanding what it's about. I, there's a lot of GPs uh, who offer vasectomy. There's also surgeons who will offer vasectomy. But I'd encourage people to really have that conversation. It's not just good enough, I think, to hear it from your friends or maybe Google something and then just go and get a procedure done. Because if you do have a problem, and that's uncommon, right? Let's let's be clear about that. But if it does happen, you need to be prepared because that's yeah. part of that's part of the consent model. You have to understand what's going on, what are the risks, and go, yeah. I'm good with that risk. I can take it as opposed to having pressure put on you and feeling, Oh God, I'm really under the pump to get this done. And then something happens. And then, you know, then you're in a position where you've got to, you know, deal with your partner being a bit upset about that decision, I guess, and having to have that next conversation, which might be even more. So all the listeners who wrote in saying, can I get my husband a referral for Christmas? Maybe hold off, get something else and have a conversation a instead. Long conversation. <laughs> yeah. I think it's not something to, to, I mean, let's say for a tattoo, right? You're never going to force your partner to get a tattoo. You might say, oh, I'd love you to get a tattoo. But it's about having that conversation and getting them on board. And if at the end of the day, that partner is like, you know what? I feel really uncomfortable because of X, Y, Z reasons. Maybe even after a discussion with a GP or, or, or a surgeon, 
then there are alternative options. It was quite simple for me. Mine was, do you want a fourth child? He said, nope. And I said, well, you know what to do. And he said, yep, I've booked in. (laughs) That's it. (laughs) And that's totally fine too, right? Like a lot of people will be very on board. It's a very straightforward and, and simple solution to, you know, this kind of issue of contraception, right? So you've had the discussion. You're both on the same page. What do you do then? Do you need a referral? Uh, yeah, look, generally it's best to go and see your GP and get a referral. Or, or as I said, there are some GP clinics which will offer it directly so you don't need a referral for them. Have a discussion about the procedure, digest the information, and then if you decide that that's what you want to do, book it in. And is it covered at all by Medicare or how much does it cost or does that just depend where you go? It'll probably really depend on where you go and whether it's done in a GP clinic or in a hospital, whether there's an anaesthetic, whether it's a surgeon and and every every person will obviously have different rates. In part, any procedure in Australia is covered, well, not any procedure, many procedures, but yes, including vasectomy will have some reimbursement from Medicare and also private health insurer, but there may also be out-of-pocket expenses which are going to be variable depending on who you see. And do you have to wait a certain age? Because I remember my husband, he was 29 and they were really hesitant in wanting to give him a vasectomy because of his age. Yeah, it's a great question. And I think it comes back to the knowledge that people who offer vasectomy have, which is that about 5% of people who have a vasectomy may end up having a a decision that they regret and have a vasectomy reversal. Not maybe not that they regret, but they change their decision at some stage mm. later. Now, I guess it's a, to a degree slightly paternalistic to say that we should be deciding for our patients what's in their best interests. So, the reason why some people would say, "Look, I, I feel uncomfortable," is perhaps if it's a slightly younger person or if that person has never had children, and you're doing a procedure which although there is a reversible procedure for it, it's it's not 100% successful. It's not like a tap you can just open and close. So there's an element of a background of understanding of what the ramifications are of a vasectomy are and I guess guiding a patient to maybe consider it a little bit longer before they make this decision. But no, there's there's no there's no age limit. I mean, the age of majority would be it. Uh, so that would be 18 in, in, in Australia. Uh, yeah. So, you know, I think like any decision, whether it's a, a, an ear piercing or changing your hair color or, you know, having cosmetic surgery or whatever, you can decide whether or not you want to have a vasectomy. And that comes at, at any age, really, when I speak to my patients. I think, you know, if i got a, a younger patient and they're aware of the risks and they've made their decision, well, they've made their decision. Yeah. So there's the, generally, I think there's no legal requirement in terms of an age there. And is that similar with how long after, like since you've had the baby? My husband went to book in at six weeks postpartum and I was just like, okay, I know we're done, but I'm not ready yet. (laughs) You weren't ready. I was not ready for another child, but it just felt so final. Whereas now I'm very ready. We're seven months down the track. I'm Uh very ready. Well, I guess that's that's the conversation part again, right? It's like, we're both ready. It's a joint decision. It's this sort of you know, togetherness, you know, when are we going to do this procedure? No, there's no specific time after having your baby. Uh, it could be done the day after, but uh, again, that might make you slightly more emotional about how close yeah. it is to the pregnancy, but there's no medical reason at all. I, I generally, if if patients are pregnant and they're thinking that maybe their partners are going to have a vasectomy, I would generally wait until bub is out and bub is healthy and all is good. Mm. We don't need to go into that deep, dark conversation, but you know, that, that would be my common sense approach. 
And what anaesthetic is generally used? Uh, there's been some stories that have come in about local and some stories about general anaesthetic. Yeah, you can do either. So a lot of the GP clinics will offer a local anaesthetic service. So it's a small needle that gets placed into the groin and then the procedure takes place. And equally, you can have a general anaesthetic. And some GPs will have an option to do a general anaesthetic in a hospital, but otherwise it would be a surgeon in a hospital. And I think to a degree it's it's patient preference. You know, does, does the person who's having a vasectomy want to be awake or do they want to be asleep? And then there's also obviously up to the surgeon providing the service. So some people will provide only local anaesthetic, some will do both, and some will only provide general anaesthetic. Is it like what they say about wisdom teeth, that if you go fully under, they're rougher, and if you're awake, <laughs> they're more gentle? Have you heard about that? No, no. We are always gentle. Of yeah. course. You have to and be gentle. No, that's, yeah. that's our job, right? We're just You just want to sneak in, you want to get the job done, and you want to sneak out. So uh, I, I, don't, I don't think there's any truth to that. I think certain certain people might not be great candidates for a local anesthetic, at least, you know, you say in my hands. So some people have really small anatomy, like in terms of scrotums, right? It's all tight down there. Some people have kind of loose, loose skin and it's just a lot easier to handle. And some people might be really skinny, which would make the procedure easy. And some people might be a lot larger and that would make the procedure more difficult. And some people may have vast tubes, which are really thin and stringy and, you know, not that easy to, to identify versus other people who have very thick vast tubes. So there's a variety of factors which may help sway some people and, you know, say, well, I'm not sure that a local anesthetic is a great idea for you. You mm. should probably have a general anesthetic. I've got a question. Sure. I love balls and I'm not going to lie, not everyone's balls. I like my husband's balls, but why are they all different? Why do some people have big balls, well, little well, think about our vulvas and stuff. I guess, but I just, I don't know. What is in the sack is what I'm asking. Like, is it some people have big testicles or do people have a big scrotum? Like, what is it? I'm just really. Are you I'm, frozen I'm so or are you just yeah. looking at me weird? <laughs> You know, not weird. You just you've got so much enthusiasm for testicles. I don't think I've met anyone who's like really like I love balls. You know, I do that way. Go you. Yeah, thank you. And he talks about balls a lot. I should have so been a nice. urologist, shouldn't I? Well, maybe, maybe. Look, there's never maybe too late, not. right? So what's in the scrotum? The the, yeah. the testicles themselves are in the scrotum, and they can vary in size. So they can be like a small grape size, anywhere up to say a. Uh, maybe like three quarters of the size of a golf ball squished into an oval shape, I guess. Yep. Then then there's the epididymis, which are these little suction components on the side and the vast tubes. You've also got what's called the spermatic cord, which is a tube-like structure. And it goes all the way from the pelvis down the groins and to the testicles. And within the spermatic cord contains all of the structures that are, that are essential for the testis. So that's all the arteries providing the blood the veins, which are draining the blood, nerves, the vas tube itself, and also little tubes called lymphatic tubes. So lymph is a, a fluid within the body, which is basically any fluid that's at the extremities, say your hands or your feet or your arms, legs, genitals, needs to come back towards the heart. And most of it's carried in the veins, but some will also come back in the lymph. So, and lymph's important to take samples, I guess, to the lymph nodes. So it's part of the immune system. So you've also got these little lymphatic channels in the spermatic cord. So the spermatic cord together with the epididymis and the testes are the, the contents, I guess, of the scrotum. 
And then all of that's surrounded by a little bit of muscle, not muscle that you can generally flex. It's different. It's muscle that will naturally kind of contract or squeeze. Say, for example, you know, it's really cold. All those muscles will, will tense up. And then you've got the skin on the outside. And See, can there's I... a reason you love them so much. No, They're I know. That's, that's why I love them. Do those cords twist and do they hurt? Uh, they can twist. Yeah. That's called torsion. And if that does happen, yeah, that's going to hurt a lot. I mean, you ask any person who owns a pair of testicles, how they would feel if they think that, that, that their testicle was twisted around. So that, that will provide very significant pain. It's pretty sudden and it generally brings people to hospital into emergency departments. And, and sometimes we need to explore uh, in theatre. We need to take people to theatre and have a look and make sure that it's not twisted because if it is, you can save it if you, uh, if you get to it quickly enough. So it's usually within sort of several hours. But if it's left for many hours or days, then, yeah, the testicle can unfortunately not be very happy and, and not survive. And sometimes it can be sort of removed if it's a, a late sort of presentation where somebody comes in, say, after three days of having this really bad pain that they didn't get seen uh, early enough. Yeah, Nick's twisted and then untwisted again. Jeez. Yeah. But moving on. Back to Once the it's done, what happens from there? So it's, it's almost always a day procedure. As we mentioned, it's sort of walk in, walk out, or, but it's a day procedure, head home, take it easy for the next 48 hours, usually with ice packs and some simple painkillers. And some people, if they have it under local anesthetic, would love to go back to work. I mean, personally, I, I, I couldn't think of anything worse. You know, you have a procedure, you want to take it easy, you want to rest up. I think it's important to rest up because... If you start being really active afterwards, you're going to cop it the next day in terms of more swelling and pain and going, oh, hush, I regret, you know, playing soccer after, you know, having my, my vasectomy, right? So generally there's a period of just taking it easy and being sensible. And 48 hours. Yeah, 48, 72 hours, something like that. Go easy, be nice. <laughs> He's already had it. <laughs> I'm helping the women out here. <laughs> no, but I think, you know, I, I want to challenge that concept that men have to just quickly get it done and be fine quickly straight away. I agree. I think that's unfair. I think, you know, if people are going to have a procedure, they need to have realistic expectations and, and plan for it. And a lot of my patients will say, oh, geez, Gideon, I, I didn't think it would take that long, you know, if it took a week, say, but it can. Mm -hmm. So yeah. let's be sensible and not be doing heavy lifting and, and big activities within the first few days. That might be longer for some people, right? And some people might have one or two days and be perfectly fine and go back to normal and have no ongoing issues. Fine. That's great. And I think on a serious note, though, it's not just a physical thing. This is a mental, emotional, it, it's pretty much everything for a man to go in. So I can understand on a serious note that it is not just, you know, walk in, walk, walk out. They do have to wrap their head. It is a big deal. Yeah, yeah, and they do have to wrap their head around it. And I think as a family, you have to sit there and go, well, this is our final decision not to have children. Yes, you can have a reversal, but you know, that is a procedure in itself longer than the one that you have to to tie them. Is that right? Yeah, yeah. That's a bigger procedure. It's a wonderful procedure. Don't get me wrong. It's a wonderful operation, but it's slightly more involved. Is it costly? Uh, again, it would depend on who you see, I guess. Uh, but generally, they're not available so much in the public system. So it's not like something you can get just purely on Medicare. But look, the, the, the that procedure is more of a procedure in terms of the time it takes in terms of the healing, it's generally two weeks, maybe even sometimes three weeks healing. Not, it's not sort of five days type region. But, yeah, that's that's an option for men who I guess decide at a later date that they'd like to have a, another child in, in a natural way. Yeah. And what's the success rate like with that? 
it actually depends on how long it's been since the vasectomy was done, right? So um, we were talking before about what happens to to dead sperm, right? When you've had a vasectomy, and what happens in that in that end of the vas tube is that you you get a buildup of of old dead cells and and crud. It's almost like a glue. It's like a paste. The longer time that you've spent having had your vasectomy, the more crud builds up. So say you do a vasectomy and then three months later you decide to undo it. There won't be any glue or muck there and you'll be able to have a really high success rate, let's say 95% success rate. Whereas if you wait, say, 10 years, you know your success rate might drop down to, let's say, 80%. And, and if it's out past 20 years, it might be down at 60 or 50%. So that's simply because of that buildup of, of, of you know glue, I guess, in that area. So if somebody wants to have a vasectomy reversal, ideally it would be earlier on, say within 10 years. It's not to say you can't have it after 10 years, it's just that the success rates do you know, de- decline. And if you didn't have a reversal, can you do IVF? Yeah. You can do IVF, yeah. Because yeah. the, the testicles are still making sperm, right? Yeah. So um, a doctor can very easily just pop a little needle into the testicles or into the epididymis and just draw out a few sperm and that can be used for IVF. Now, after you've had the procedure done, there's a certain amount of times you have to ejaculate. Is it like 30 times in a month or something afterwards? And I think it's 30 times in a day, isn't it? What? Nah, come on. I was just talking oh, wow. there. What? What? You wouldn't oh. need the vasectomy because the whole thing would just fall off. But that doesn't have to be sex. That can just be using a hand, right? Yeah, of course. Yeah. No, look, it's, it's, the, the concept is, is that after the procedure – here we go. Here's here's the test. Yes. Where is the ejaculate? Where does the, where is that stored in the body? Do you remember? The seminal vesicles. Nice. Top of the class. Hang on. I was going to say in the little strings. Well, no, no that's, that's so the, in the, the vast tubes. Yeah. Piss off, doctors. Yeah. Well, did well. High five. Yeah. Thank you very much. Um. So the ejaculate with all of the previous sperm are stored in the seminal vesicles. And each time a man ejaculates, a little bit of that ejaculate is squeezed down through into the, the pipes down below and, you know, there she blows. And, <laughs> and so then when you've had a vasectomy, it's not like immediately there's no more sperm in the whole body. There's clearly still sperm in your seminal schools, right? You're just stopping any new sperm from heading down there to be stored in those warehouses. But those warehouses are full, Right. So in terms of what happens after a vasectomy from a sterility perspective, you ain't sterile. You've got plenty of moving healthy sperm still in there. So you have to wait a period of time for all of those warehouses to have flushed through. Now, most men after a vasectomy will have no sperm in their ejaculate, you know, let's say three months after the procedure. But there's still a very significant proportion, let's say 30%, 40% even of men, who after three months, you'll still find some sperm, not huge amounts usually, but some sperm in the ejaculate. And what we need to do is we need to make sure that that number gets to zero, ideally, right? Or very close to zero, such that, you know, there's such low numbers in there that it's essentially not going to be possible to make a natural pregnancy. So we need to test the semen usually about three months after the procedure to make sure that the procedure's worked. Yeah. So how many years down the track are you and has Harry had the test? We've never done that. Well, but I do have sex when I'm fert, I'm ovulating and after 4 years we have a good success rate of, you know, in the clear. So sure. I'm sure you're not going to recommend this. 
look, if you want to make sure that the operation has done what you had intended it to do because yeah. there are failure rates. Yeah. So say, for example, the surgeon by accident tied off a vein instead of the vas tube. Now, that's not that common. Maybe one in 200. Oh, right? that's quite common. Yeah. Yeah. That's in the literature, right? So if that happens, you're going to be making babies. Can you get checked now? Sure, absolutely. Oh, you, yeah, can. you can get him checked now. Maybe I'll get him checked and we can put that in here too. Yeah. Then okay. you can put it to rest. But here's yeah. here's another whammy. You ready? The other thing is, here's a, a true or false, contraception is always foolproof. False. False. Right. So there's always a failure rate with any contraceptive method. That includes vasectomy. So even if we do a test at three months and there's no sperm, we're like, you're good to go. The operation's been a success. A success. There is a very small rate of one in 2,000 that people will have spontaneous joining up of the tubes. My best friend, her dad got a vasectomy. Ten yeah. years later, they have a baby boy. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's really, really uncommon, but it's an important part of the counselling, right, because you have to be aware that there is a very small chance that this could fail at some stage later. All right. And it comes down to, you know, how do they tie off the tube and did a little bit of that tube just die and then more sperm was escaping and somehow they've made it through. So that's why it's, again, important to try and use multiple methods almost when you're doing the vasectomy to try and prevent, you know, any connection or reconnection, I should say. So after three months, generally, I would be advising people to get a semen test. Sometimes, as I mentioned, 30%, 40%, you will still find some sperm. So every now and then, we have to kind of keep an eye on the sperm numbers in the ejaculate. It means we've got to do several tests. You know, every two months we'll do another test or so until we get to a point where the surgeon or the doctor's happy and says, look, you know, this is zero or it's so low that, you know, you're just as likely to, you know, make a baby as not make a baby with these yeah. amounts of sperm. So sometimes it can be a bit of a waiting game. You know, it's not, again, coming back to walk in, walk out. You, yeah, good to go. Sometimes it can take, you know, seven months or nine months even to get to that point. So sometimes a bit of patience and retesting is required. And then at some point, the, the doctor will give you the, the, the thumbs up that you're good to go. And does it have any effect on their testosterone? Nope. Full stop. I'm going to slam that one down. Right? Yeah, right. Good. Okay. There was no hesitation. It's a common misunderstanding. But remember, what we're doing is we're, we're just tying off the vas tube. We're not touching the testicle itself. We're not affecting its ability to make sperm or testosterone. It does still what it needs to do. But I, yeah, that, that's why we, we can be clear on that side. Yep. And are there any other long-term side effects? You mentioned long-term pain, but is there anything else? Not really. The other side effects are generally shorter term. So, for example, uncommon, and they're all generally uncommon, but there would be, you know, an infection, perhaps of the wound, bleeding. I mean, a bit of a bit of bruising can certainly happen. That's not really a complication, but you know, significant bleeding that swelled up like a cricket ball, or you needed to go and have another operation to stop bleeding. But that would be very, very uncommon. I think they're really they're the main issues. And is there any link to increased risk of cancer? A few people wrote that. No, absolutely not. Knock that one for six. All we're doing is tying off a tube, so that won't affect risk of testicle cancer or prostate cancer. It doesn't change our hormones. It doesn't change our insides other than stopping sperm from getting to where it needs to be. And in fact, there are some people who are born like that. There are some people who are born with a blocked or an absent vas tube, you know, and they're otherwise fitting well and they wouldn't have any idea that, they, that they're missing that anatomy. 
except that when they're trying to make a baby, there's no sperm in their ejaculate. They get tested. There's nothing, zero. And the first question is, well, have you had a vasectomy? And yeah. they say, no, 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 never. And then if, if you examine these patients, you can actually, you know, I'll, I'll feel down below and I'll note, hang on, there's no vas tube here. So that's actually related sometimes to um, a disease called cystic fibrosis. It doesn't mean they have cystic fibrosis, but um, people carrying the gene for cystic fibrosis is really common. It's the commonest sort of genetically carried disease. But if you're a carrier of that, you're more at risk of actually not having a vas tube. Is it true that sperm is a form of protein? Yeah, but I, w- I wouldn't suggest a sort of, you know, a, a diet based on that. I, no, I think no, neither would I. There's plenty of good things in the supermarkets nowadays. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, I was going to say, like, you're not about to replace a steak. With so, it's not going to be your reason not to get fine. a vasectomy because you're missing out on the yeah. protein. Use the cow's milk. So what are you up to today? What have you got on? I've got a bunch of patients coming to see me in the morning. Any and, reversals? Uh, I don't think so. Not this morning. I think I've got a couple of people later in the week for that, which will be great. My favorite operation. It's the best. Is it? Oh, it's great. Because, you know, you're getting couples who are on the other side of vasectomy, right? Yeah. Imagine the excitement with a vasectomy. But imagine when you've when you've decided actually you want to have another baby and, you know, you've made this decision and, and it's something that the man can do, right? Because often there's there's maybe not huge amounts that men can do, but having a vasectomy reversal is certainly one thing that, that we can do. And it's a, it's a lovely process. And then when you get a, when you get a little bubber at the end of it and that couple's gone through the effort to, to get a baby that way, it's, it's magic. I love that. When are you planning Harry's reversal? I don't know. You're kind of like, yeah, making yeah, me yeah. want the reversal. Oh, well, look. You, you know, know what comes with the reversal I just don't want the baggage. <laughs> No, thank you so much for joining us today. I feel like we have learned so much about vasectomies. It's a term that's just thrown around, as you said, like a haircut, but there's actually so much more to it. So thank you so much for taking the time to speak with us today. You're more than welcome. It was great to meet you guys and thanks. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks for listening to this episode of Beyond the Bump. If you enjoyed it, please subscribe and give us a review. If you didn't, good on you. You can also follow us on Instagram at beyondthebump.podcast to stay up to date on behind the scenes and future episodes. We'll see you next week. Bye-bye.